Hello and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm a very snotty version of Laurie Eves. And we don't have Hannah Husper this month. We don't have Hannah Husper, but in her place we have the lovely Repeat Beat Poet. Hey, Ooh. hey, hey. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, pleasure to be here. Lovely to, lovely have, to you. have you. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all, awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Jamia Ali, the amazing poet, legendary poet, awesome poet. How, how do you want to be introduced, Jamia? Uh, as somebody whose level of need far exceeds their ability to, to accept validation. <laughs> So, so we're good. Thank you. <laughs> this month we'll be interviewing Jamia Early and chatting about Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur. And we'll be bringing you one of our favourite poems we've heard this month in our live poem of the month section. This month it's Olivia Hall, live at Genesis Slam. Cool. So, Rebecca, what have you been up to this month? What have I been up to this month? I went yeah. to Speak Equal at the end of September mm. and that was an excellent night with Rick the Most, who is wonderful. Yeah. And they did an amazing set. And it was just, it was just a fantastic night, wasn't it? It was just a it really... It was really beautiful. We had Rick the Most, uh, Tane Stevens and Rowena Knight were also both yes. featuring. Yeah. Um, I'd not been to Speak Equal before. It was awesome. It was one, it was one of those nights where... Actually, <laughs> it was one of those nights where I was like, oh, oh shit, it's the last tube now. I really, really need to go because yeah. just like everything about it afterwards was just like, I love this. It's great. Yeah, it was And I don't think, I went to Speak Equal a fair bit when they first started and then for just various reasons I haven't been for ages. And it just, it does feel like a night that's really kind of found its footing and kind of grown into itself. And it, yeah, like, and not that it was bad when it started, but it just, yeah, it does feel like it's just become the fully fledged version of what it's going to be. Yeah, nights take yeah. a year to bed in and really find out what they're going to be and, uh, you know, how their audiences are going to interact with them. I'm just glad that Rick is making their way. I remember when Rick and Matt were running Forget What You Heard, mm. which has been a launching point, really, for a whole community. Yeah. And to see Rick having left here, gone to Australia, uh, built their career, been teaching, um, yeah. Be really proud. It, it's, it's good to see somebody that you came up with and that influenced you grow so much and reach so many people. I haven't had a chance to go out to the night. I'm not as social as many of my friends. <laughs> but the fact that Rick was there speaks well of it. Um, really, what else have I done? Um, oh, Genesis. I went to Genesis Slam after the kind of summer, August break, and that was awesome. Uh, but I can only stay for like the first round of that, but that was amazing. And that was where we got, hopefully, our uh, <laughs> power of the month. No, apart from that, um, I went on holiday to Ireland, which... Oh, beautiful. It was amazing. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm related to about half of this small town on the West Coast. Um, mm. So I went down there and they had a big arts festival on. And just the thing with poetry in Ireland, I just, it's not viewed or taught as kind of an elite thing or a clever people thing. It's mm. just, everybody's into it. So people, like, relatives would just come and sit down and be like, have you heard about this poet? Have you heard about this poet? Yeah. So and, cool. and they love it so much. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's a really interesting what happens when you don't, kind of make poetry complicated in the way you teach it. Yeah, I was chatting to Jake, uh, like, Wild Hall, about just, like, the nature of, like, poetry in Ireland, because, obviously, his grandmother is also a poet, and, like, mm. you know, she's really famous for, like, haikus and stuff. But, yeah, this sort of idea of, like, communal poetry where it's immediately part of the community and everyone sort of... Everyone has a base knowledge. Mm. Yeah. And that's... Maybe it's a bit of a weird thing to, like, you know, valorise, but I also definitely don't feel like that. I had that in, like, London. There wasn't, like, no. a community good knowledge of poetry... But yeah. Oh, and actually, segue, here's what I was up to this month. At some <laughs> point recently, 
Seamless. Jake Ward Hall and uh, obviously Amy with Bad Betty just released um, their latest anthology called Alter Egos. I'm in fact holding my copy. Um, it's very pretty. Oh, yeah, so the, the design on it is also really, really sick too. Um, but yeah, so I mean, me and Laurie actually read at the launch of it down at the we DIY did. space. We did, yeah. yeah. A whole bunch of awesome people. Anna Khan was there, mm-hmm. Bird Speed, uh, Kai Draper. Yeah, Tony Campion. Toby Campion, amazing, yeah, and that was a really, really good event. Just uh, so many poets I hadn't seen in a while, and poets who I didn't know um, in you know different aspects. Yeah, outside of London, crucially, and I was like, oh, sick. Definitely, it was. It was definitely like a bigger scope, wasn't it? It wasn't just the you. I hate to be like the scene, but like the the familiar faces. It was like, oh, cool, I haven't seen you before, and you're wicked. Mm. I was. got asked to proofread that book and yeah I was just like reading it on, the, on my train up to Edinburgh just being like this is I've never heard this person but they're fucking awesome right yeah. and then you get to see them read and yeah just so good it's... Carl Burkett is my new favourite discovery and like I've seen Carl them on Instagram so before but now that I'm like you know sharing pages with them I, I just looked them up a bit I was like oh actually loads of dope stuff yeah, I've so just, yeah shout out to Carl Burkett too I've just bought Carl's uh, he's just brought out a pamphlet uh, called Living in Colour which he self-published um, and I haven't read it yet but uh, what I have read is he put in like a personalised poem like in it when he sent it which was lovely Aww, yeah it's really sweet yeah Amazing. lovely guy yeah. so what else have you been up to man? me um, I've had yes well two my two things at the top of the list that I had were uh, <laughs> where the two we've just talked about uh, I went to see uh, Antosh Wojcik's uh, How to Keep Time mm. uh, at the Albany in Deptford on Sunday um, which was have you guys seen this show at all I or just read about in, it uh, no I saw it in Edinburgh last year at Summerhall uh huh yeah it's it, 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 it's phenomenal it's like part memoir part obviously just like furious actual drumming yeah it's a drum um, solo by the way oh okay yeah. it's, it's a drum solo by a poet Yes. Amazing. Yeah, and I think the subtitle is what it's it's how to keep it's called time. how to keep time a drum solo for dementia, and so certain fills are related to certain memories and refrains in the poetry that he's reading while he's drumming, and like Antosh, benotes to like, you know, everybody is just a furious drummer. He's like yeah. he knows like his metal and his like the jazz and there's all these different yeah. types, but the way he lays it out as a bed for for these sorts of ideas and tropes and mm. like. You know, as a way to speak about, I think it's his granddad uh, yeah. um, who's suffering with dementia at the time, and it's this wonderful, seamless putting together. But obviously, I saw the show about a year ago. Yeah, you saw it recently. I saw it yeah, this weekend. Um, well, I mean, I hadn't seen it before, so I can't <laughs> well. comment too much. But like, yeah, it was. It's part of. Um, they put it on as part of the the opening of doing a series of shows called uh, Age Against the Machine. Um, it's like a festival uh, to do with, to, to well, a to like have more elderly and, and and different generations work, like working together and putting on stuff together which is awesome but it's also about like age and, and aging and what that means so it makes total sense that Antofi's show fitted in with that um yeah it was uh I believe it was a 50 50 seater and 48 seats went so that's nice. pretty damn good um it was awesome and just yeah like you say it's really layered and it's really just I've been wanting to see the show for months so it was really nice to finally get around to going and seeing it, and it hit 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 all the right notes, pun intended. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Oh no. <laughs> Went there. Just uh, to say one more thing about what I've been up to this month. Yeah. Uh, this month's penting was volume twenty three, I think, and it was uh, the subtitle was "Where the Art Is," uh-huh. and we were featuring Roger Robinson 
formerly of these uh, audio pages, and, uh, and Boyega Odi Banjo. Yeah. Um, and sadly enough, I couldn't be there because I was at uh, um, Inu Ellens' rap party. Oh, yeah. But I managed to run back for the cypher and, uh, you know, say hi to Roger and Boyega. Mm-hmm. And I'm reliably informed that, uh, you know, it was absolutely barnstormer overnight. So yeah, I'm very yeah. glad that uh, we managed to get Roger on his book tour as well. Yeah, it's a great book. We reviewed it yeah. in the last episode. And if you yes. haven't listened to it, and also, if you haven't read it, read the book as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. 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 I, I, we should have just plugged the book rather than plugging oh, us, both, plugging both, the book. Both, both go back to the episode and read the book in whichever order you like. Yeah. The only other thing I've got on here are, like, books I've been reading. Um, yeah, that's probably I want to interesting. I picked up, yeah, Carl Beckett's Living in Colour uh, pamphlet, which we just talked about. Uh, I've been reading a novel called The Demon by Hubert, Hubert Selby Jr., which I'm really fucking enjoying. Um, going back to the Bad Betty stuff, I picked up Jake Wildhall and Amy Aker's uh, two pamphlets uh, that just come out, and so, they're both. So that's blank by Jake Wildhall and and, and, and they are covered in gold light. Yeah. Um, Moving on to this month's interview. This month's interview is with Jarmir Early. Jarmir is an American poet, storyteller, and the UK's foremost improv spoken word artist. Her style has been described as an impassioned lyrical storytelling meandering just to the left of chaos. Jamir has appeared as an invited guest artist with the BBC Edinburgh Fringe Slam and performs regularly with Triple Jam Sandwich at the hip-hop jam night Imaginary Billions. Jamir is the producer and host of the landmark poetry night Spoken and its slam spin-off A Slam Called Spout, with his team Spoken in London. Jamir recently debuted his all-improv show, Hashtag Be Spoken, at the Edinburgh Fringe to critical acclaim. So, to give us an idea of the sort of work you do, can you kick us off with a poem? Sure, wow. Weird when somebody when somebody reads back to you the things you've done suddenly you feel confident like you're ready to you're ready to apply for that job interview when no one can see your face. In these roads somewhere upon the amber times you shall find yourself a wandering you shall find yourself. Do not look for markings or people or hands. This is not the test that you will come upon. You will come upon this test easy. This test is a boon. In the amber eyes of the sunshine, in the blue settling of the moon, you will find them both in your eye. You now walk a path between the living and the dead, not a path of the dead, nor the living. You walk between worlds. You are in the shadow now. This is a boon. It has been given. You have risen up. These gifts given, these words flow, these faces, times, Nations, the hands that have touched you, the hands that you will touch, the fingerprints that echo in forever. When you find them perfect, when you find your silence perfect, you shall feel the world and your connection with it. You shall feel your others and your separations. And you shall know what it is to be conscious and connected. It is a stillness and a wonder. The fearful call it lonely. The lonely call it madness. The quiet. The quiet speak of it not at all, for it is a gentle and easing peace. So yeah, I like to talk a lot. Jesus! <laughs> Brilliant, thank you. Nice. Um, do you want to kick off the first question or should I do it? I'll do the first question. Okay. I, I'm going to ask because so much of your work is improvised, right? Yeah, well, I mean, like pretty much all of it. People always ask that, and I get really—I used to get really, really mad because I get off stage, and one of the things is, if you can get up, find the feeling like inside yourself or the thought, mm-hmm. and a lot of how I used to do this is I was pushed too 
speak or do later in life because mm-hmm. of pain and discomfort and it just had to come out yeah. and you get off and it's clean like because I can hear it in my head about a millisecond before it comes out of my mouth and like a millisecond after that I hear it back through my ear into my head and it comes out and it sounds the guy speaking is using my voice but it sounds like how I feel mm-hmm. and it makes sense and then you step off well that for lack of a better word, is natural perfection. It may not be like for others or anything, Mm -hmm. but for like you as an individual, you said what you meant and you mean what you said. That's really horrible. And it's beautiful or ugly or, but it's, it's, it connects to others and it's transcendent and makes sense when you step off. It's like, boom. And then other times, uh, it's bits of conversation I've been having with myself all day, all month all my life and I enjoy those I don't and those are still improv I mm-hmm. guess it's a hard matrix to, to describe but they are more I find them more interesting when after a period of these dialogues and intercessions these conversations sometimes I'll point to somebody in the audience I was talking to five minutes ago about something that comes in when the poem that comes naturally perfect comes from that it's mm-hmm. like I get to cheat because it's all practice. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I guess my question... So I didn't really ask the question. Because I'm an improv poet. I just moved from your initial... (laughs) I was incited. Yeah. But my question is, with all of that, do you consider yourself to be a writer? Or do you consider yourself to be something different to a writer? Because it's not written as such in most of the work that you're doing. Well... But you do write the work, though. And there's pieces... Cool. I, got, I, got, I love you. I got uh, wow, okay, cool. Pete's Don't my mind. editor, and we're working <laughs> on a book. Boom, see, I dropped it at the wrong moment. Here we go. Time to drop um, it in. But this is, this is, a, this is a more important um, thing uh, for me from a different angle. Um, because of my dyslexia and because how I come upon the uh, acquiring, the digestion, and the connectivity of knowledge or information or sound or experience and then project it out. Until I was about 10 years old, and I remember saying it when I was 10, I did not feel that I could read. I was not at a reading level consistent with other children Mm -hmm. or at a reading level near enough to my intellect. So, like, imagine being able to have conversations about important things. Mm -hmm. Um, Imagine being able to trap another kid in, in a room and be like, so they say that you read close to adult reading level. So tell me about these Judy Bloom books or, you know, these, uh, or what was it? Uh, the, the, one of them, the female detective and uh, oh. the, the two brothers, Nancy Drew. Drew. And tell me about this. Wow, that sounds horrible. And, and I remember in, jun- I'm in junior high and still you can see the intellect versus the reading level. I remember I trapped this girl and I said, this flower's in the attic thing that everyone's talking about. <laughs> Tell me about that. And she told me, and I was like, there's, there are ballerinas and inbreeding in these. Wow, <laughs> reading is dangerous. But um, so writing and spelling are another thing. Reading has come along great, but the, uh, because I can sight read, which is great. You have to remember everything subconsciously. Mm. But the spelling and writing, as well as the spending so long talking, which is a... And usually people who spend time with me say that you don't think when you're talking. And that's true. But is a is a lightning fast facility versus 
turning on your hands, which move slower. Mm. And then as what you are thinking stops being something that goes directly from like talking from your head out, has to go through a lot of processes, Mm -hmm. starts to spill out on a page like horror and shame. I work in the educational system. Um, I was lucky enough that my parents got me into a school that was able to work with my dyslexia. Mm. But like everybody's been in college and handed in a paper and a teacher been like, your ideas are horrible. Imagine them saying, you speak really well in class, but are you on drugs? What is this gobbledygook? Right, okay. And so uh, a few, well, for most of my adult life, I've been able to use my intellect and the ability to listen to people, which no one believes, and understand the process, to move professionally all right. Um, But like sitting down and writing down takes a level of stillness and a level of focus and a level of peace. Mm-hmm. And it is a painful and shameful process if other people see it. Now, that gets smaller and smaller. I'm, I ain't going to cry. But I found both in college and when I restarted doing poetry in London that I'd get up and I'd read the words off the page. Mm-hmm. Um, as I got through reading the words off the page, my mind would, I'd have a feeling because of the hyperactivity, the ADHD, I have a feeling that would respond, and I changed the line. Yeah. And then it got to a place, well, why do I have to... Ground it. I just do it. So then, you know, some of them I memorize, and then I stop memorizing it. And um, so do I consider myself a writer? Yes. Have I found an easier facility? So right now, um, we've almost completed one zine, one short book of, of poetry. It's like a taster. We're still arguing about what the name is. I think it's... Gonna, me being you and PJ. Right? Me, me and PJ. Me and P, I will not call him that name. He's a grown man. I will call him Pete! Or repeat B. Or repeat Pete, which he hates. I do hate that. But now working on the book, from the show that I did up in Edinburgh, and I know this is a long answer to your question, but from the show I did yeah, up in right. Edinburgh, um, I cut clips for videos give the videos to Pete, Pete transcribes it. I listen to the video, and because I can read at hopefully my intellectual level, but I think I'm smarter than I can read. I like that. There's always hope. I listen back to my voice, and I know in my body and my whole hyperactive head kind of where I was. Mm-hmm. And so I read through it, and then Pete and I argue about whether that's a word. Yeah, so yeah, I consider myself a writer because I still do sit down and write. Some of the... Um, when you said about really improv, some of my best work still echoes off of things that I've sat down and written because when I sit down and I write, the words may not come out spelled perfectly and I like to do it by hand. Yeah. But it is, if I, if I read the hieroglyphics to you and speak it, it is as good as the poem that comes off the top of my head. I think the real question is, do you edit? And in milliseconds and over feelings, and in the I think Pete will agree with me. And in the work that we've done, the only edit that's really come from the transcription is when Pete's won the argument that that necessarily the repetition is something that people would see on stage, um, which I'm still not. I have underlined that <laughs> thing, which yeah. I'm still not an argument. But that's also be a process, mm-hmm. and I, I'm very interested in the process. Um, I think that I think, uh, fuck. I'm just gonna use American words. I think uh, intellectual uh, nerdist tribalism is the most 
wow, I get really mad. <laughs> it's the most just disgusting bullshit because like a hundred percent, if not a hundred and ten percent because of the narcissism and speaking your own mm. words and writing your words, people feel dispossessed, pushed out. People write about it. There are arguments on whether people talking about their personal pain and struggles mm. is transformative or a purchase of friendship and popularity yeah, yeah, that, that go on all the time. Yeah. And so like... It's that conversation around performing authentic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the asshole that I am now, I'd be the asshole if I caught the ball. I'm also pretty sure like the feelings I have and want to share and the complexity, I'd have there too. Yeah. But in this, in this outlier, super cool hipster, you can dip in, dip out, world or whatever of thought and sound, you don't get to just replicate being a predator or an asshole. And I mean, I don't mean that in the most harshest ways. And I mean that in the most harshest ways, just like the other. And then go, well, you know what? You can't uh, edit and hit the commas the way that I can. So I put my shield up against you because yeah, you're yeah, shit. Yeah. And then you can't say, well, you know what? You don't have the balls to get on stage and, yeah. and throw your arms Absolutely. around. Or not even throw your arms around, but get on stage and rely on the fact that the sonics of your fucking voice move work. I've seen both be shit or read both or experience <laughs> both be shit. And, and, and you know. And be great. And, and be great, but I'm speaking specific to you as, because no one <laughs> believes this, as an outlier, as a stranger, as someone who talks because it's, it's a, it's a force that has to happen to me. And as somebody who writes down but struggles with that, yeah. well, in the fucking mechanics you're all assholes. How dare you hold that against each other? Now what you appreciate more or what's really, really good or what appeals to you is fine. But really you're talking about people who are arguing about intellectual expression of feeling in complexity that can be transmitted to others, whether on a stage or in a recording or writing or play. And really the thing is, I know a couple of playwrights, they laugh at all of that. Because a playwright writes to be read and writes to be seen. And the idea that, oh, you could talk on stage, it means nothing. That's not true. Because a playwright will write something in a script that when you, if you were to read it as a book, you're like, eh, I don't know. But when you see it on mm -hmm. stage, you know, what? waiting to good, for Godot, both, I've only ever read <laughs> yeah. pieces of it and only ever seen pieces of it. Both, I think, are brilliant. Mm -hmm. But I think the, if you only had one experience... You'd probably think it was brilliant, or you'd probably think it was shit. It just really frustrates me. Next question. <laughs> so when you kind of, when someone announces you to come up on stage and the applause dies down and there's just you, and now you've got to fill this space, how do you go about that? How do you start improvising a palette from scratch on stage? Because that sounds completely terrifying to me. Okay, back to your question, which kind of blends in. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes, like, uh, like I was saying, uh, you're talking to people and you make jokes and then you get up and there's less there. Or you're sitting there, and I'll be honest, nobody will want to hear this, I'll be sitting in an open mic, I really like going to open mics, and somebody will say a poem, and I'll be like, I don't like that. Hmm. And because of the hyperactivity or whatever, the ADHD, my mind will drift. And when my mind drifts from something that I don't like or something that I do like, it, I start writing a poem that may have nothing, well, usually has nothing to do with the subject or anything, but, but it'll start me off. And then I, I, I sometimes have written in my head three poems and then I get up and then I s try to remember pieces of the thing that just happened to me, which is very awkward. Yeah. Or like that fourth poem 
that is just rising as I've been sitting here being fed by everybody comes out. And sometimes you just go cold. When I was in Edinburgh, Pete was up there. It was an interesting thing. When I was up there, I always planned to get up and see the city and go see people. I didn't. I got up. I rushed to the show. Always, always put on some, took a shower and put on nice clothes or went further in the morning. Put on some nice clothes, but always got to be there a bit late. Sweaty. I get on stage and my, and like halfway through it or a bit through it, feel like my head was exploding. Like there was all this pressure in my head and I'd stop. And somebody would be like, why'd you stop? That was really great. And I'd only been on for 15 minutes. Um, and the more and more I did it, the more I realized that it's just really something that had, like these, these are the pieces. Mm-hmm. If I get on stage and I allow it to happen, it'll happen. Sometimes a piece of something from the past yeah. or a conversation I'm having will, will just come forward and will that be it. Sometimes it's the feel of the audience. Um, also, I'd like to have a good time. This kind of goes back to kind of how I started, in, at least in college. I used to go and read from my little book and then leave. Mm-hmm. And read from my little book and then leave. Anybody that knows me thinks, that, could, that guy never shuts up. Read from my little book. <laughs> I would arrive, I would ask, I would sit. Fear, a giant tear sitting in my chest. I would read from my book. Uh-huh. People would laugh if it was funny. And then I'd leave. And then one day somebody said to me, oh, Joe, that was a good poem. And I was like, somebody knows my name. And it was like, I can come here all the time and tell people exactly how I feel. Mm. And what I discovered is like, that had always been burning. And that, that thing in my head was not letting it happen. Like the thing in that head was like, I, have I been talking for 45 minutes? Are they enjoy? They're all quiet. Does that mean it's bad? <laughs> was like not letting it happen. And now, so I get on stage and I just like, if you can't shut up, and you, your small talk is about like race, politics, the sense of like the idea that there is a is there is an us behind us. Psychologists talk about it, religion talks about it, and like that is how you feel because of the the way that life has come to you. You feel that kind of dislocation. Then you can talk about anything. You just have to get out of his way. So now I just get on stage, and I close my eyes, and I say, "Oh, you know what would be really awesome." is if you died right now. You know, it'd be really awesome if, if you shit yourself. If you burst into tears, if you broke down, if you just started, like, talking shit, just made no sense coming out of your mouth, that would be an easier thing than what's about to happen to you right now. And you find yourself sick. You can feel it come up, and you're about to say something that means something, and they don't know how much it means or what it means, and you, can you be careful? Should you be careful? Do you have time to be careful? It's already spilling out of your head. And did you just tell them that the, that the most beautiful or frightening thing that's happened to you this week was like this? Did you say, I'm vulnerable and I like that shit? And a lot of, a lot of growth has come from it because people, for some reason, I've watched the video back, they think he's really confident and sure of himself. And that's just happening to him a lot of it is just ha- subject matter blah, blah blah but a lot of it is just happening to him and it's very it's very freeing you can't go up to a stranger and say hey is that an akira comic book 16 year old girl on a london bus i've never seen before brilliant i used to read those in the 80s you've made the future a safe place for me and walk away and that person be smiling but you can't do that all the time with everyone on stage you can just be really really honest and yeah 
And then instead of leaving, you go to the bar, you order a rum and coke, and then you just start talking to people <laughs> till they realize, oh my God, you'll really like this. <laughs> and then people who, who only enjoy the sport will leave you alone. <laughs> It's always. I think it's. I think it's always. Always a mistake. Like, I come to it because I'm not. This is bad because I'm trying to be a professional. I'm not there for you. I did not come out on a Wednesday when it is raining. My heart was broken so long ago. All I know is that I have these really sad conversations with women who start to think, "Wow." I can't put this project back together at all. <laughs> and my friends are starting to form relationships and they're like, you need to get a girlfriend. Not because we care about your feelings, but really when you're coming in and knocking and talking to people, you're ruining our alone time. And so I can arrive at a poetry night and say that shit. Oh, forget what you heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Matt and Rick, I can arrive and, and, and say that shit and people will clap and other people will say that shit. But no, well, what I would think I noticed is that it is more a thing now for people to write. But then these people who have become a lot were talking about themselves or about their world mm -hmm. and the way that they wanted to and how they wanted to. And especially back in college and even further back when it was like family parties and stuff like that where I got to talk. That was my chance. Like, no offense. Like I said before, sometimes I talk to people just about what I feel. And they're like, this is just too much information moving too fast. <laughs> and they move away. That is a lonely thing. I did not trap you in this room, but I am not so empathetic that when I get on stage, I have to keep you here. I have something to say, I guess, but like, I'm gonna say it, and if you don't like it, that could be one of the reasons when I read my poetry, I read my poetry with my eyes closed. And one of the things, <laughs> I've, and one of the things I've learned is like you fall on somebody's face, is like, I really, I hate, I don't hate, but two kinds of people you never wanna perform in front of, Poets who have come to see themselves. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And, oh, yeah. and poets who have come to see the click mm -hmm. or the latest fashion. Mm -hmm. And fucking stand-up comedians of a lower ranking who are just doing it because their friends in small places think they're funny. Because mm -hmm. when they look at you, they are not there to understand. They are wondering, well, do you know when the funny part is? Did you notice that the lady up front might be a little large? You used the word corpulent. And the thing I was talking about was a fish. And more importantly, that's how I feel about what's going on in my life. I'm putting you on a couch in my head. You don't have to come. <laughs> Sorry. But, like, that's the thing. And I'm not here to hurt you. Or So there's a thing recently. When I've watched Dave Chappelle on the recent Netflix series and he speaks, it is someone out loud, regardless of how you feel about it, out loud considering their universe considering their place in it and the way in which they behave rightly or wrongly and so when I'm up there that's the same thing I'm doing I really want people to enjoy it so that's why I always come off stage and I say to somebody was that was, uh, right. was that okay <laughs> was, was that good uh, when I like the perfect ones where it's like yeah. after long conversations yeah, yeah, on stage yeah. with the audience it's like I don't care because if it wasn't good for you you're fucking wrong because I can because one of the aspects because part of it well, is, because one of the aspects your satisfaction with it well, right? well I, no, well, uh, I can feel you 
right? I can feel you and I know that you can feel me because I am shaking. Mm -hmm. I know it. Are you conscious of there being themes and structures and ideas that you return to? And you're, you know, do, you, do you think of your work as being about something or that you're particularly interested in something? So I always kind of, I blame this on my parents, but I'm also grateful for it. The way in which I was raised and the multitude of people in which I was exposed to and the way I was exposed to it, I put it to you like this. Um, when I was about 10 years old, I was in the back of a school bus and a 16-year-old kid with pizza face wearing, I think, a Slayer t-shirt. Just picking on the smaller kid, trying to get me cry, calling me names. Now, he called me a name that I didn't really know, but it was associated with another name that I was aware of. So I called him that name back. Now, that name I called him back was lesbian. I didn't, <laughs> right? Everyone, la everyone laughs at that one. I had no idea what a lesbian was, so I called him a lesbian because he called me a, an English cigarette. And so I called him a lesbian. School, school bus driver told him to stop picking on that little boy. A couple days later, I'm in my dad's office. My dad says to me, Joe, something happened on the bus. And I'm like, what happened on the bus? I was like, oh, I stood up for myself. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. And my dad says, you shouldn't use that word. What word? Lesbian. Oh, yeah, that word that I never used, so I don't even remember using that word. Yeah, shouldn't use that word because there are some lesbian, there's some of those people in your family. And I went, what is a lesbian? Right? Yeah, if you don't know. But, you don't know. well, you don't know. Of course I knew because I have two aunts that aren't sisters that we have Thanksgiving dinner with all the time that aren't my dad's sister. And they live together and they kiss each other. But I have no concept mm. of the separation. Um, and that is the question I am always asking because, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little, I got a little hurt feelings and my hurt feeling over time, um, is a theme in my poetry. You'll hear me talk about people who create the shape to fit the shape that you made up. Right. Just so, so, wait, wait, hold on. I didn't get it. Just say that again. But basically people who like, people who torture themselves to kind of create these, these, these personas, which are made up anyway. But, but, no, no, but, but like these words, like that separation, that, what did that kid use that separation to do? And what did I use back? I didn't even know what those words meant. But I knew that he said that you are cut off here. So what I did is I said, what will hurt you? What is related to that? And I didn't even know the relation. Mm -hmm. Cut off there. So if my aunts, who aren't my aunts, my, my family, more important, very wide, and I'll draw that line. If my family is my family, then... Who are you? Because you didn't say, well, I'm this, well, I'm that. Well, I live this way, or I love this way, or I'm this kind of person, or I'm from this kind of nation. Well, that's not true. Why is that true? Because everything that you are now coalescing into description, which is not the same thing as identity, everything you are now coalescing into description, I've seen before. But the way you shape it against each other, or shape it together, confuses me. My dad... My mother is a teacher from a long, long, long line of teachers and is the smartest person in the house, has the most degrees. And my dad worked for the Smithsonian and their model was the acquiring of knowledge mm -hmm. and the dispersal of it. And when you're around that kind of environment, you realize language, well, everyone has it, but what's underneath that, the concept of language. So I'm always trying to get to like, where is the point who, who are we? And because if it's all names and I came to the understanding of names late and the naming of things and the separating of things different, my work is always about like being pissed off about that. How do we fix it? How is it beneficial? 
I think. Got a similar lesbian story, but not oh, yeah. quite the same. Um, when I when I used to be in the Boy Scouts, obviously, um, we had one. I remember one boy bullying another one, uh, teasing him uh, about the fact that he didn't have a fallopian tube for <laughs> for many many months. Um, oh, this was pre-internet. Yeah. But I mean, like, and that, that, that right there, like, so we move through time and then everybody agrees. So like, just imagine that everybody in your camp that summer yeah, yeah, just yeah. agrees. And then it becomes a thing yeah. to say to boys, you don't have a fallopian tube. Uh, but then it doesn't, doesn't change. Patri- <laughs> no, it doesn't change patriarchy at, at all. No. You don't have a fallopian. And that could actually become an emotionally injuring thing. If you just replicate it over mm-hmm. time. And that frankly, sometimes to people that think the way that I think or experience life the way I experience it is what it's like. Yeah. Did you just call him a tomato? Really what you mean is I'm mad and I want to hurt you. Um, I've got one other question, but PJ, do you, you want to ask, ask questions? Yeah, so the first one was just about um, kind of like related to Rebecca's question about like process because I was, um, as you, you know, mentioned before, we've been working on, on this book together. Um, and it's involved me watching hours of your footage. <laughs> the interesting things that I had to ask were two questions. One, how, so as a person who's seen and tried to relate your audience interaction and your conversational style and your inflections and your, and your intentions, all of which are so much non-verbal, your self-editing process, apart from the one that's live and in the moment, do you have a kind of like, review process or how do you kind of like evaluate not specifically based on the audience but how do you like you know judge yourself is is it like you know growth or what is something like your own metrics for like when when a thing has gone well or badly especially like across the whole history of what you've done as well this question i wanted to ask you have you got like a way to review yourself well i mean as someone who knows me peter you already know that it's semi-healthy, semi-not. I get off stage and I ask someone I trust like you, did that work? Oftentimes, if people don't come up and talk to me, that usually means it went well, and it, which is weird, but like internally, so yes, here's the metric. In the old days, I used to be able to fill the turn. You say something, you are changing in the moment, you are exposing things in the moment, it's very painful, and I could feel the turn. Now... I just have to have faith in it. It's a different, it's a different embodiment. I have subconscious concepts of whether they're good or not, but mm-hmm. like an achievable point for this, well, you know what it is. I want to be able to like do this, write my write my books and hang out. I think, and then which brings on to my second question: What does success look like for you, man? Success for me looks like the more gathering of these skills, especially since they are the painful skills. The writing, the editing, and being able to do more performances and more of this. As you know from working on the book, um, we're already on to the second book, which has a core. I was able to sit down for 22 minutes, as you can believe, and in one take told the person the story we want to put in. And Peter will tell you when we go through and edit that, it won't take long. And if that is acceptable, if it is good, is it connected, marketable, or whatever... I'd like to be allowed to keep doing that. I think it has a positive effect on others, but as well, it fills me. And, it, and you know, you hope that this is what I'm supposed to be, that this is why I wander, this is why I'm different, that 
this is the culmination and to live that the individual I am on stage and whoever you think you're hearing now on and to do that I need to be able to perform more I need to be able to write more you know I want to do a play the music the albums that work on the bands that were involved it's a five track EP that's going to be very fun when you drop that EP man that's what I would that's what success would be a continuum like that that's what I want to that's what I want to be I want to be me and do my thing but like not starving <laughs> oh yeah the, uh, the the big dream in financial security that old that old chestnut yeah. <laughs> what was the 22 minutes thing we said 22 minutes for what? What was that? Um, That's the next book. You so, spent 22 minutes editing the book. No, no, so, no, no. So, it, so Jarmir <laughs> recorded a story, and it's a story that breaks down. It's like a character story across three parts. And, uh, and yeah, just this 22-minute long voice note. But, like, <laughs> but, but luckily enough, there's also other people who are editing uh, Jar's work for future books and stuff. I had this idea kept coming to my mind. Yeah. The woman named Woe. And not like, whoa, like, whoa, but of sorrow and how that wasn't her name, interestingnesses of names. And so I wanted her first name to be Woe, uh, Wobatide and her middle name to be Garden. Right. The idea that her name, her first name said, like, look, I am not only special, but precious, but if you fuck with me and that's my first name. And what, because it reminded me of my god sisters and women in my life who who are that, like, yeah. who are a, a, a non-aggressive but strong, uh-huh. like... And, and one then, of which serves for, as a great teaser for the book, and yeah. you have to wait for it to come out, I'm afraid. That seems like a good place to leave it, though. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug? I do. Um, Imaginary Millions at the book club. You find them on Instagram. I perform with them. Um, me and Pitu. Uh, and that's on the first Sunday of every month, month of the book club in Shoreditch. Six. Uh, it starts about like you know if you get there for half six you'll get a spot but it kicks off around after seven. If you if you like this, uh, find me on the Instagram and I'll start leaving weird conversational notes. And Pete, I'm performing for you somewhere soon, aren't I? Oh yes, gigs coming up. J- Jarmir will actually be one of our features for the next painting. Uh, we're gonna come to that in the end section. But also um, there's a uh, there's an event called the Threads Poetry Showcase. So um, I do the repeat beat broadcast on Threads Radio. They're like an independent, uh, incredibly community-owned and focused station. And Jarmir will be featuring at the Threads Poetry Showcase. Uh, the first one, the inaugural event, uh, called Threading Words Together, alongside uh, Carpet Face and loads of other dope people. Uh, so the 3rd of October, I will be uh, performing at Celebrating Kings, uh, an event you can find on Instagram, uh, host, well, uh, produced by uh, Lyric L., I don't do a lot. I'm writing a lot or recording my writing a lot because I like to see Pete suffer. <laughs> cool. That's probably a great place yeah. to... I think we can all get on board with that. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Rebecca, we've got news. We have news. Live, just in. Olivia Hall has given me permission to use her poem while we've been recording, which is good. So otherwise, I was going to have to come in and find another poem and explain myself, the Rebecca from the future, explaining which poet we had for um, Poet of the Month. But no, we have uh, Olivia Hall as Spoken Word Poem of the Month, and I'm very, very happy about that. I'm very, very happy about it as well. And what you'll probably notice is a a kind of revered silence now in the room, uh, because two reasons. One is that Jamir and PJ have uh, vacated because it's getting a little bit late, Um, and they've got shit to do, which is fair play. 
Um, and also because we're about to have our book review, and uh, this month it is a book, a little book uh, that you know you may or may not have heard of, uh, called Milk and Honey by uh, a little a little Canadian poet called Rupi Kaur, and this was chosen by Rebecca. So Rebecca, why did you pick this book? I picked this book because I thought we could have an interesting conversation about it, and I mean also it's a book that is incredibly popular. And I think it's a lot of people's entry into poetry, particularly for, for younger readers. It, it, it's kind of like teenage girls. It's it's kind of entry into poetry that isn't all the dead white men, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, yeah, I find it very interesting. And I thought we could have an interesting discussion because I thought you might have some thoughts about it. And she's quite a kind of polarising um, poet, perhaps. And yeah, I just thought we could have an interesting discussion about it. Okay. Um... So I guess my first question on it, I so I uh, bought and read the book over this weekend. When did you first read it or become aware of it? Um, probably, I'd say a couple of years, two years ago. Yeah, uh, about two years ago. I kind of had seen it around and just was very intrigued by by it. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful cover. It like, is a beautiful cover. It's a cover. really strikingly beautifully designed book. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, I think a friend of mine gave it to me in the end. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, and if you're listening, Liam, because you're a lovely and supportive and might well be listening to this, uh, I did really appreciate the gift. <laughs> Despite what it's about to come out of your mouth. Despite what about to come. Um, and I actually think that the first time I read it, I actually really liked it. Okay. And then I read the second one. It's just called The Sun and Her Flowers. The Sun and I think Her Flowers, is. yeah. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of thought, actually this is more of the same and actually I'm not sure if this is I you know I think I've oh what's the phrase there's a, there's a phrase like where you kind of see through something anyway um that I just kind of was like actually it's like there were some of her poems I really really love uh, a lot of her work is very short mm-hmm. pithy might be a contentious word to use but sort of short to the point poems and sometimes it works and sometimes it is just a few words on a page that you've put a break in and maybe that makes it sound a bit, it gives it a bit more gravitas perhaps than, than the words might earn on their own. And especially with the second book, I found there was one poem, with three poems on three different pages that I then went, actually that's one poem that you've just divvied up mm-hmm. and I'm not quite sure why. I have very mixed feelings about it. Some 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 of it I'm gonna stand I'm gonna stand by it and I really, really like it. Some of it I'm kind of like Huh. I would like more from this perhaps. Okay. Um so I guess I got some thoughts. That, yeah. <laughs> um I think that's fair to say. Um and I wanna and also to contextualise Hannah um Hannah Hotspur has also read the book and yes. has sent us her comments. Yeah, and we're we'll um, threading those in. Yeah, we're going to be kind of threading those in in what we say. Um, not necessarily going, this is what Hannah thinks, yes. but um, I think there's a lot of overlap between what mm. she thought and what I thought and what you thought in a lot of cases. So we're just going to be including that where, where we can. There's no getting away from the fact that Rupi Kaur exploded with uh, the rise of kind of what's known as insta-poetry. Mm. Um insta poetry and shorter poetry like that is very accessible i think people mistake that for kind of it being disposable like it's not got any weight to it because it's short form and therefore it's rubbish or therefore it's 
it's threatening kind of more traditional forms of poetry yeah, and, and I, I also dislike jump, that I would also jump in and say Heaney has poems that are two lines long yeah. and no one ever fucking told Heaney to get in the bin exactly you know I, there, there is there is a tendency to be like she's young she's female she doesn't understand the craft doesn't know what she's doing yeah, yeah. And absolutely and I think like to, to equate writing on Instagram or writing on anything as being kind of disposable and therefore rubbish like I don't think I, I mm. vehemently disagree with that and I think it's and I've written on the script elitist bullshit yeah. because it and, is and it is about control as well that, that you know if you don't have Instagram if you don't have social media you used to be relying on sending your work to somebody and yeah. have them sign it off you yeah. can't just give your work to people and this book was originally self-published as well I think it was yeah, yeah. it was it's now on uh, Andrews McMeal publishing and has uh, has exploded that publisher to being much much bigger than they were yeah it was one of the biggest selling books in america i think the year it came out yeah like, yeah it's a it's, and it says on the cover number one new york times bestseller and uh i believe it sold 2.5 million copies um and in the uk um it's a book which has according to the financial times see we do do our research yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. she accounts for one million pounds worth of, of poetry book sales in the uk like yeah. it's it's incredible it's genuinely and you know part of the reason we started this podcast is because we want to support writers right mm. we we don't want to go and gra- grab books and go oh what do you think of this oh it, it's crap and like try and yeah. tear tear people down for their success like yeah. it's and, absolutely great that she's been successful in it yeah and i think having having kind of you know like like i said i loved it and then i've initially had a few more kind of complex thoughts about it one thing i will say is this is poetry that you know a lot of teenage girls are buying and I think the world is very and I'm hesitant to shit on things that teenage girls like because yeah. the world is very very quick to do that just because they are teenage girls um, and I kind of think well you know if this is the accessible poetry that people come to and then they go off and look at other stuff then great like yeah. then then it has a place and it's not complex and it's not again like I was saying earlier about you know how poetry in Ireland is taught it's not I think we do teach poetry in this country as being something a bit complicated and if you don't get it it's kind of your fault yeah, exactly. for being a bit thick whereas I don't think that's what's going on with Rupi Kaur and I think that is quite refreshing and if that's what's bringing people to poetry then great yeah I, to- I totally agree and Rising Tide lifts all boats right like I said I think there are poems with Rupi Kaur where I'm kind of it's very easily, as, as these guys are having a lot of fun on our group WhatsApp thread, it's very easily kind of uh, parodied some of the um, some of the formats she uses and mm-hmm. some of the shorter stuff. There's an element of perhaps taking itself a little too seriously. Mm. And I personally can't say that I really enjoyed reading this book. And from what Hannah's said as well, yeah. I think that she didn't enjoy reading it. I think there are a bunch of kind of reasons why that's the case and I've kind of tried to order them in some way but I think it comes down to one central thing and that is that this is there's there's two ways of reading of reading this thing one positively and one not so positively this book is so so sincere it's completely (laughs) and utterly sincere from the front to the back including the cover and the back like this is a book that is and the the really positive way of putting it would be to say that I think Ruby Core absolutely believes one hundred percent with absolute conviction in every single word that is in this book. Mm. That's the nice way of, of of putting it. On the on the other side, it's absolutely swamping to read something that is so overwhelmingly sincere 
see uh, the language in this book is so absolutely unrelentingly literal. Mm. Like, what she is doing is, if you go to any creative writing workshop or or, any, or class or anything, mm. rule number one is show, don't tell. Yeah. This book is constantly throughout it telling you exactly what is happening yeah um she rarely uses any kind of like she there's there's no metaphors there's no really occasionally we're touching on them but there's there's nothing that is anything else than this this book is a precise record of exactly what she felt thought or did at a particular time yes that's it and I definitely do get serious poetry voice in my head when mm. I read it. Like, she's yeah. reading a serious poetry voice. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, like, because the poems are so short, it means there's not really any space for metaphor or spe- specifics. It's it's literally... There's there's no there's no journey, there's no taking a pic- uh, painting a picture. It's, this is a thing that I'm thinking. Boom. Mm. Would you recommend this book, Murray? What I would recommend is go and read some of her stuff on Instagram because it's there like <laughs> yeah. it and if you like it then yeah definitely go go and go and buy it because I'm I'm very much aware that I guess I came away thinking this isn't for me mm. and that's that's fine I didn't I genuinely didn't go into this being like I really want to like rip on this book mm. I really wanted to like it just to to shut those people who criticize like insta poets up. yeah yeah i like i say i have my qualms about it there are bits that i like there are bits i don't actually it was interesting so yeah that's been rupee cool and uh, yeah tweet us tell us we're wrong tell us we're assholes <laughs> that's fine right and if you are listening rupee cool please do feel free to come on and tell us we're assholes that's fine yeah that's all good you can come sit in my southeast london living room and uh, i will make dinner be fine yeah we had chickpea curry it was great Hello, it's Rebecca from the future, interrupting the Dead Darlings podcast. As you've just heard me tell Laurie, I picked Rupi Kaur's Milk and Honey because I thought uh, he and Hannah were bound to have some thoughts about it and we could have some really interesting discussion about it. Turns out, I slightly underestimated how many thoughts he and Hannah had and how much interesting discussion we could have about it. Uh, So what you've just heard is a very severely edited version of the conversation we had and we've decided to release our first ever bonus episode which will be the full conversation that we had about Rupi Kaur placing some of our comments in context and just expanding on them a little bit more diving in a little bit deeper and that should be released next week so keep an ear out for that back to the show uh now it's time for the notice board section letting you know what poetry notes are coming up this month uh mostly in london but not exclusively uh, and where you can go to perform your work or submit it for publication we have got a lot of events, so I think yeah. we're just going to rattle through October's, them. October's October's a good month. Do you want to start? Yep. Okay, so we've got Hammer and Tongue Hackney, 1st of October, with Miss Yankee and Tremendous at the Book Club at 7.30. On Tuesday the 1st, 8th, 15th and 22nd and 29th, that's five this month, blimey, it's Poetry Unplugged at the Poetry Cafe in Covent Garden. Faber's 90th anniversary with Simon Armitage, Joe Dunthorne and Lavinia Greenlaw at the Bloomsbury Theatre. That is also on the 1st, but I didn't write it on the script, apologies. Ah, yes, <laughs> didn't notice that wasn't there, the date, yep. Um, we've got Spoken Word London, uh, the open mic is happening at uh, VFD and Dalston and that's on the 2nd and 16th of October. Uh, Genesis Slam is on October 3rd at the Genesis Cinema in Whitechapel. Uh, I've 
I've missed the date out on this one, but I think it's the 3rd of October. Okay. Um, Word on the Street uh, is uh, with Anthony and Axaguru uh, and Phonetic, and that's at Harlem Soul uh, in Old Street, I believe, on the 3rd of October. Double check that. Okay. <laughs> um, and again, on the 4th of October, it's She Growls, um, and that is at the Poetry Cafe in Covent Garden. They've got Karis Hannah and Miriam Wordmaker featuring. And 4th of October is the new 5th of September. Um, yeah, so it last, is. Last 5th of September, there were lots of events this month. Uh, we've got 4th of October, the Bad Betty Showcase at the Art House, Art House Southampton. Just to stress, that's actually, that's not a venue called Southampton. That is in, a, in Southampton. Yes, the Art House in Southampton, <laughs> yes. Um, we've also got on the 6th of October, um, another Bad Betty thing. We've got uh, Phoebe Wagner's uh, The Body You're In pamphlet launch, which is at Set Dalston. Uh, 7th of October, Fighting Talk with Mark Thompson, Steve Tassane and Osama Minhas headlining at the Greenwich Theatre. On the 9th, you've got Boomerang Club uh, and they've got Jamal Hussain and Phoebe Wagner again. Um, and that's at the Rutland Arms in Hammersmith. Uh, 15th of October, Raise the Bar Bristol in Beckler with Tony D, Shay D and Harry Baker. Um, and there's a bunch of other hip hop stuff at that as well. Um, Penting is on the 17th at Set Dalston. Um, that's run by PJ, who was in earlier. Uh, also on the 17th, we've got Anthony and Axaguru's After the Formalities launch at Pages of Hackney. On the 21st, um, we've got Chocolate Poetry Club's open mic at the Camden Eye. Uh, we've also got uh, Speak Equal on the 24th at the Jago in Dalston. And um, one of the features is Jamal Hassan again, um, but the uh, second one has not been confirmed yet. Apparently it's a Halloween special and it's going to be spooky. Uh, also on the 24th. 24th also yeah. seems to be the 5th of September. Um, it's Caroline Teague's book launch um, at the Genesis Cinema and I've written Yes Mate on the uh, on the script. Very exciting. Uh, the, the book is, the pamphlet is called Good Earth. Have you read it? I haven't. I really want no, to. On the 24th as well, we've got the launch of Bad Betty Shots Season 2. So they do very short, kind of, is it like one or two poems in a pamphlet? Like one poem in a pamphlet? Um, I read Iris Colum's one and it was one poem yeah. in a pamphlet. Uh, so they just do a series of those and that's launched at Set Dalston on the 24th. Uh, 25th is Once Upon a Mic at the Castle, which is near Brick Lane. And will involve um, Jameer Early, who uh, was our interviewee this month. Uh, 25th of October, Paper Tiger Poetry at the Tea House in Vauxhall. On the 28th to 29th, there's the Urban Arts Festival, um, which is in Wembley. Um, they've got a bunch of stuff on. I'm assured there's spoken word, and they've got uh, hip-hop, including Amy True, who is really fucking good. Uh, 31st of October, the Anti-Slam Halloween Special at the Camden Comedy Club. And then outside of London, we've got a few uh, events that have got in touch to ask us to promote their stuff. Yep, so in Kent, continuing the theme that we picked up last month of great event names in Kent... <laughs> Uh, we've got Tongue, Tongue Punch at the Tom Thumb Theatre, Margate's finest open mic set in a historic beachfront theatre. The, uh, this month the headliner will be Jake Wildhall. Also in Kent on October 3rd, we've got Harry Baker um, with the Speakeasy Poetry Night at Golbenkian Theatre in Canterbury. And the headliners are Zia Ahmed, great poet, uh, Belinda Zawi and Henry Mad. I assume they're also great poets. 12th of October, We Are All Amazing. Which I just like, I just, <laughs> yeah. 
have that confidence. Nice title. Uh, the Glass Box Theatre in Gillingham, uh, Lem Cisse headlines a poetry show in association with Dyslexia House Association Medway, including a chance to get on stage if you put your name in the hat. Uh, so in Cambridge, we've got um, on the 4th of October, we've got Hammer and Tongue Cambridge featuring, featuring Caroline Smiling and uh, Nikki Marone at the Cambridge Junction, which is hosted by last month's uh, interviewee, Faye Roberts. On the 4th of October, it's the Bad Betty Showcase at the Art House in Southampton. My brother lives in Southampton, and I'm thinking about trying to go to it. On the 19th, we've got uh, Fen Speak with uh, Karen Freeborn headlining, and that's in Ely. And on the 27th, we've got Allographic Open Mic uh, with Claire Trevian headlining, and that's at the CUC Wine Bar, also in Cambridge, and again hosted by Faye Roberts. As always, Words Down, the writing session is a free writing workshop which is run every Tuesday by Hannah Gordon who runs Spoken Word London and that's at Rubio London, a cafe near Wilsdon Junction. It's really, really good. They do a great Almond Flat White. Um, I'm just going to plug that every time. I'm always going to plug that Almond Flat White. It's damn good. Also shout out for the brownies. Yeah. Um, also, uh, want to give a special shout to a couple of books coming out. Um, Pete the Temp, her, or Pete Bearder as he's also known, has a book out called Stage Invasion which is all about the history of spoken word, um, which I really, really, really want to read, and they're touring it at the moment. Um, I'm told that Tom Sastry's has a new book out, and Dan Cockrell also has a new book out, Notice on Loneliness, coming out uh, this month on Burning Eye. Brilliant. Uh, moving on to submissions, uh, the White Reviews Poet Prize is now open. They're looking for poetry portfolios of five to ten pages from previously unpublished poets. The winner gets £1,700, as well as expert, personalised, professional and editorial advice, and the publication of their entry in the White Review. It costs £12 to enter, but they do have 50 free entries for poets on low income. That closes at 5pm on the 7th of November 2019. Visit www.thewhitereview.org forward slash prize forward slash white dash review dash poet dash prize dash 2019 for more information. Poetry Wales Award is currently open to poets from Wales and beyond. Uh, the winning poet is going to get £100 uh, and the top three poets get their work published in Poetry Wales magazine. Entries are open until 29th, 28th of November. I say 29th of November by default because it's my birthday. Um, <laughs> entry is £5 uh, and again there are free entries available to those on lower incomes. Uh, check it out on poetrywales.co.uk struck award. Uh, the National Poetry Competition, run by the Poetry Society, is open to anyone aged 17 or older. The competition is for previously unpublished poems of up to 40 lines in length. There are 10 prizes. First prize is £5,000, second is £2,000, third is £1,000, and then there's seven commendations at £200. The deadline for that is 31st of October. Uh, go to poetrysociety.org slash competitions uh, to find out more. And Apples and Snakes up in the north are looking for five female-identifying or non-binary poets in the north of England to commission for Deranged Poetesses, which is a great name, <laughs> uh, on, which is happening on Saturday the 9th of November, 7 to 9 p.m. at Ark Stockton. And the theme is Soundwave, which artists are invited to respond to in whatever way they wish. Apparently proposals may lead toward the sound or the wave as their primary inspiration but the most exciting and unique approaches will be sparked by the creative possibilities when both sides are brought together, apparently. The fee is £150 plus travel and accommodation costs. Um, if you're interested, uh, hit up Apples and Snakes websites, and the deadline for applications is on Tuesday the 8th of October at noon. As always, we'll be putting all of these on our Facebook page, so you can find them there. 
In a moment, we're going to have our live poem of the month to play us out. But before we do that, Laurie, do you have anything you want to plug? Do I have anything I want to plug? Uh, not especially this month. Uh, I'm mainly in a lot of editing mode. So. What would you be editing? I'm editing my book, Biceps, which is coming out in March on Burning Eye Books. That's mostly why I haven't been doing that many events this month. But if you want to follow me, uh, I live in Shepherd's Bush. Uh, or uh, you can find me on Facebook uh, at Laurie Eves Poet um, or on Twitter at Mr Leaves, um, but I never ever post there. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rebecca K Cooney um, and my website which is www.rebeccakcooney.wordpress.com uh, and actually I have something I want to plug this month. Um, yeah, one of my poems, uh, Selkie, has been accepted into the Dear Damsels anthology, Let Me Know When You're Home, which is all about female friendship. And they are currently trying to fund that through a Kickstarter. Okay. Uh, so if you basically, if you'd like to pre-order the book, and I think it's going to be a really exciting collection actually, there's some really interesting writers in there, um, and a really interesting theme. Uh, if you search for Let Me Know When You're Home on Kickstarter or Dear Damsels on Kickstarter, it should come up. And yeah, if you'd like to just pre-order it and help the publishers out, that would be amazing. And then you can find the podcast on Twitter, at Dead Darlings Pod. Uh, Facebook, if you just search for Dead Darlings. Uh, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word. And just say hi, guys. Like, let us know what you think. We're three episodes in, so, you know... So, you know, yeah. now's the time. You've, you've had a taster. Yeah, we're Tell us what's not working. Critique. Yes. Yeah. Our poem of the month was performed by Olivia Hall at Genesis Slam on September the 5th. We chose it because it was just, it was funny and raw and it just really kind of, really connected with the crowd at the Slam. Um, and it's actually something I've been, it's kind of on body positivity and it's something I've been thinking about a lot this month. And it just, yeah, it just really struck a chord. Uh, she actually went on to win the Slam. Um, and yeah, I had to unfortunately leave before the end. Um, but... Yeah, she, um, yeah, fantastic, like really deserving winner. So for that, special thanks as well this month to Peter Hayhoe of Muddy Feet for the audio. Uh, Muddy Feet filmed poetry events and produced like beautiful films of um, performers and Peter was kind enough to let me steal his audio. Uh, we're very grateful and you should um, search for them on YouTube and you'll find yeah, fantastic videos of amazing poets. Just a little plug, I've got some stuff on Muddy yeah, Feet. Yeah, me too, Woo. me too. Before we share Olivia's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to Olivia for letting her showcase her work, to Peter Hayhoe for the audio, to uh, my co-host uh, Laurie and uh, this week the Repeat Beat Poet, uh, to Hannah for her thoughts as well. Mm, um, in the ether, the silent partner. Yes. <laughs> um, to Jamirelli for joining us, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and to you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. For five years, I kept my own special kind of bucket list. It was my things I'll do when I'm skinny list. My bike around Amsterdam in booty shorts list. My own skinny jeans in a bikini list. It was my one day I'll be beautiful list. And my then I will start living list. It was a maybe I could be worth something list. So each night I sat and imagined a tool that would let me carve layers off my body. I imagined cutting off pieces of me and giving them to boys in the hope that if they could not love all of me, maybe they could at least love part of me. Maybe that would be easier to swallow. And still, 
I kept the list when I am skinny. I will take my clothes off before sex when I am skinny. I will do the heartbreaking. I lived eternally torn between wanting to love myself and wanting to lose myself. I carved the word enough into my thigh because I only felt worthy of love letters that caused pain and compliments that made me bleed. But it turns out that hating your own body is exhausting, especially when the rest of the world is already doing it for you. So one day I put that list in a drawer and I started trying to unlearn all the problematic things we teach about bodies. See, I was raised to believe that compliments on my thinness would satisfy any hunger. Body shaming was my Bible, but I know we can teach something better. So I stopped longing for boys who could only love me skinny and started longing for boys who were better instead. I rewatched all the Disney movies I loved as a child, but this time I made sure to notice that Ursula was just as hot as Ariel. I reread the Harry Potter books and I imagined Hermione as a fat girl and it didn't change what a badass heroine she was or the fact that everyone in that series would have died without her. I realized that envying other girls' bodies didn't make me any happier and their beauty didn't have to take away from mine. So I stopped thinking about all the times that this body has been made to feel worthless and started focusing on the fact that this body is my living, breathing miracle instead. I stopped pinching and scratching this stomach and these thighs in favor of tracing gentle lines over my stretch marks and thanking these legs for not shaking when I speak the truth. And somewhere, and somewhere among all of this it happened. Teaching myself to love other fat bodies made me finally, finally start to fall in love with mine. One day I looked down at my skinny list and all I saw was a bucket list. That night I stood in front of the mirror and said, I am enough. I am enough until it didn't hurt anymore. And it was the love letter my body deserved. Yeah. <laughs>